Hello, and welcome to Criticism's Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. This week, we're discussing Girls 5 Ever and Hacks, two 30 minute comedy shows about trying to stay relevant when you're worried about being aged out of showbiz. Oof. <laughs> We've we've still got a way to go to worry about that, you and me personally. I think I think we've still got another twenty years in in the bank, Jenny. But until I was then, say like ten years, but ten years sure, enough. Let's say, let's say generously twenty years. Listen, I, everyone's been getting more and more encouraging about what old means. So I'm just gonna That's throw true. twenty out there. You know, okay, <laughs> we'll to that. <laughs> well, how have you been, Jenny? What have you been up to these past two weeks? We've missed you guys, by the way. Oh so, yeah, we yeah. had a little bit of a vacation, but it's glad to be back, glad to be talking to you. So me, I I mean, the reason why we had to skip last week is because of me. I, I went to Boston with my mom to finally see my brother after more than a year. I, I would say this is close to two years since we last saw him. Mm. Boston is full of Dunkin' Donuts just everywhere. I thought of our boy Ben every time I pass by one. Patron saint? Um, yes. Really, really feeling his spirit through Duncan. Um, I did not go into any of them, unfortunately, but that's okay. That's nuts. I just enjoyed it as a visual treat. I was going to ask you, by the way, let's pull it back. I know you didn't go to Duncan this time around, but what's your Duncan order? Like, what do you normally get? I'm... I mean, I would never consider myself to have like a normal Dunkin' order. I just mm. like, that's a big part of like my missing, I don't know, pop food, like cultural phenomena in my, in my life outside of like yeah. the Ben Affleck Boston things. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What is good at Dunkin'? What would you get? Okay. So I've, uh, obviously lit very late in the game. Uh, yes. like, <laughs> been in this country for like six years, but I did acquire very quickly because we have, you know, we've got Percy Ingalls in the UK, which is our version of Dunkin'. Oh. And, um, it, I mean, not to shit on anybody, our baked goods just wholly much better than this country. <laughs> So I, I was just it, like, well, yeah. yeah, so I spent like two years in Canada too, and they've got Tim Hortons, and that's mm. like the Dunkin' of there, mm-hmm. and they're also very good, like the food there is actually pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of like broke nights just eating their chili, by the way, which kept me very oh. warm in those long Toronto nights. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, I think firstly, it depends on the season. Okay. Um, but like the range of stuff that I get, first of all, they're hash browns. Ooh. And I get two orders of them because they're only 99 cents each and like one is never enough. And if you're lucky, the fryer has been cleaned out like it's fresh oil. So mm. it doesn't taste like complete shit. Any one of their like breakfast sandwiches is fine. Mm-hmm. But I like their white cheddar bagel twist. Mm. And when they heat that up, if you have cream cheese handy, it's really good. That so that's one. Really good. <laughs> yeah. Um and it, cuz it's it, it the the bread itself is like good. It's just not as flavorful so you kind of need the cream cheese. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the original glazed donut. Like d- don't fuck about with any of the other donuts. Like that original glazed will just set you right, man. It's so good. And then I think drinks I'm just the usual like iced coffee iced with coffee. hazelnut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- yeah with the hazelnut pump. And the, the trick with that is you have to shake it really hard because that, that syrup just sits at the bottom and it's disgust. <laughs> that first sip is always really disgusting if you don't shake it. But that's my Dunkin' order, man. I would love yeah. to hear our listeners' Dunkin' orders as well in case we're like missing out on something. Yeah, I find this but, fascinating. You know. um, please please write <laughs> in if you do have a Dunkin' or any other 
food recommendations in general like yeah we would try them all i guess we would try them all yeah yeah thank you very much for educating me on on duncan a little bit pellen um yeah now, what's <laughs> up with you lately so i am going through the very tortured affair of finding an apartment in new york we are thinking about moving out of the apartment that we're in we've been in here in sunset park for like four years now mm. i don't know dude like Every time I do this, every time I, cause I love just looking at rentals and mm-hmm. Zillow Street listings, easy. just, yeah, yeah, all of that shit, just for fun, like just to kind of see what's out there. Me too. But when you're looking to actually move, it's the most frustrating thing because New York, the apartment layouts, mm-hmm. batshit. And kind of like make me feel like I'm going insane. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm just having to do that in the heat of the summer. It just got really fucking hot in New York too. So it's like, ugh, like waiting outside for, you know, real estate agents to come and open up an apartment that you're going to fucking hate. Uh, but you were just wondering, maybe, maybe, just maybe, it might be a good in-person, and they never are. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going through that stress. Um, <laughs> got a couple of viewings today after the recording, so I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. Um, what, what are the things that you are looking for? Like some of the top oh, yeah. must-haves. Yeah. So if 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 any of our listeners, listeners have never looked, searched for an apartment in New York, the thing that you have to understand is you must compromise. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you're going to get everything that you want. So you have to have like a very short list of things that you will absolutely not budge on. Uh, and the one thing, one of the things I'm absolutely not budging on is a washer dryer because we've been in an apartment with an in-unit washer dryer and baby, oh, once you, yeah, once you live with that, you're never going back, buddy. <laughs> never like not even it like i mean i guess we were like we'll settle on in building mm-hmm. like i guess that's fine but oh my god that that's just like i'm never going back like there's no way that's one um a large so this is the hardest thing is a large layout or largish layout for the living room mm. that's very that's proving very difficult because most new york apartments you share the space with uh what they call a kitchen and i call a joke oh and the, um, i guess the kitchenette or like the thing in the living room yeah like the gooch sized counter space <laughs> <laughs> um and then yeah and, and then what's the last thing oh um i mean i say this but it's not really true i really do want a tub because as i've mentioned before mm. we have a tub but it leaks to downstairs and i need my tub man like i'm a shower person like when i clean myself i'm a shower person but mm-hmm. i do i do like a tub um I think so a, we'll see how I, it goes yeah, i think a tub is doable for sure yeah best of luck best of luck with Thanks, your apartment sir babes <laughs> thank you <laughs> anyway in the meantime though in the last two weeks that we've been out what have you been watching jenny <laughs> <laughs> so i have been going in on peacock i got a seven day trial that i extended to i'm like paying for months right now because i missed the deadline to cancel but Fuck. <laughs> I I got Peacock because I've been watching Girls Five Eva. Ooh, yeah. Um, so this is a new comedy series on Peacock. Of course, it's created by Meredith Scardino, who uh, has worked on Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, The Colbert Report, uh, stuff like that. It stars Sarah Bareilles, Busy Phillips, Paula Pell, and Renee Elise Goldsberry as four members of a girl group that was briefly famous in the 90s slash early aughts before uh, ultimately fizzling out. And so now, 20 years later, the group gets a chance to reunite 
and attempt a comeback because their song gets sampled by another artist. So this is kind of like their moment to seize if they Mm. want to, or if they can, which as the show shows, like it's a bit of a struggle to seize that moment. But yeah, how, so I made you watch this, Pelin. How far are you along in the show? So I'm only three episodes in because I didn't extend it. Like I just watched (laughs) the three, (laughs) but I will, I will carry on watching it because it, it wasn't really doing it for me until episode three and it then in takes, episode yeah. yeah yeah it takes a second to kind of find its feet and yeah. establish everything because th- this is the curse of the pilot is that you just really have to throw in as much as you can and yeah. like establish what the challenge is for everybody mm-hmm. um and because of that establishing that doesn't really leave much room for comedy <laughs> like yes. as much as you'd like so once it has been established in the first two episodes they finally like get a bit comfortable in episode three so i'm gonna keep watching it um yeah, yeah, let, yeah. let me know if you need my my login Peacock, i might just do not listen to this yes 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 so we'll uh <laughs> we'll sidebar on that one babes um but yeah you're totally right it takes a few episodes to get really into it and that's unfortunate because this first season is only eight episodes long so they don't even really have much room to work with but i will say like after the ball gets rolling you know i got pretty into it and i appreciate it for what it is and also the fact that it is a tina fey and robert carlock production mm-hmm. um so they're two of the eps there this is like tina fey is obviously the most famous of the two but they're long standing like partners, creative partners. Um, yeah. they did 30 Rock. They did Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Great news, Mr. Mayor. So their signature style is kind of all over the series. And the reason I kind of gravitated t- towards it, I think, is because in my opinion, it's the closest a Tina Fey and Robert Carlick show has gotten to 30 Rock since mm. 30 Rock. Mm. And that is like a compliment in my eyes because yeah. I don't know about you, Fallon, but 30 Rock, remains one of my favorite shows to re- just rewatch over and over again the writing yeah. the jokes they're they're so they're so sharp and so good um, definitely it's a classic for me and it's such a it's because it's such a tidy like story concept you know like it's very contained and that that's just the more contained a comedy show is the funnier it is because you're able to then just like bust out with everything else like you can get really satirical one minute really mm-hmm. like slapstick the next it's just, yeah 30 rock is great man 30 rock is so much fun and i just started watching it like last year mm. so um yeah huge fan now yeah yeah did you finish uh 30 rock when you watched it no i haven't finished it yet no okay I'm still like plowing my way through it. It's like one of those like when I don't have because you know me, I'm like a hour long drama. Like that's my number one. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's my number one boy. So um, <laughs> once I'm like gotten through those, then I'll go to my half an hour comedies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm just working my way through it. Mix it up the TV yeah. diet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I like that. I think that the advantage, of course, definitely is that this is another show centered on the entertainment industry, which I think is where Tina Fey, Robert Carlick Productions kind of really shine. Yeah. yeah. They just have seemed to like, although they're like not the showrunners to this one, there just seems to be like a greater level of understanding of the entertainment industry and showbiz that like other people in the same or adjacent industries seem to have. They can make sharper jokes. They can do kind of like more like, like acid quips or like satire on whatever is happening. Yeah. I will I will say that this show seems to be a little bit gent- gentler and or I guess to put it less tactfully almost a little bit more neutered in my opinion compared to 30 Rock which is yeah. kind of more 
acid and more vicious um, towards mm-hmm. like its own characters and things going on in the industry. Definitely, especially with um, I kind of felt a little bit like some of the jokes about the industry everybody kind of knows about or or like everybody can agree that they're ageist or sexist or whatever mm. but it's when it's when it yeah it's like you said it's when they got really brutal with the satire like there's this part where they are singing about they talk about the types of songs that they used to sing and how batshit they, the lyrics were and like what it's about <laughs> And they go, they run through like a bunch of the songs that they sang back in the day. And it's like, you know, when my boyfriend cheats on me, I'm just going to blame the other girl. It's only her fault. Like Mm -hmm. that cracked me up because it's like, yeah, just press harder on it. Like just get a little bit more brutal with it or just like go, like just overdo it. Like overdoing it is so much funnier than gently making a pass at uh, uh, how sexist everybody is, you know? Um, yeah. But there again, like, I, I mean, I haven't seen as many, so I don't know, but maybe they do that. I think as, yeah, I, I for sure agree. It's like in the specifics is where you can get really funny and really, you know, sharp about it. And so that is like something I wish they did push on a little bit more throughout the whole yeah. thing. Um, but it's like, you know, for still like the jokes are, um, you know, they're very rapid fire. There are going to be more. They, I think the show does get funnier as it progresses. Did you see this really wild, like piece and slate that I think people are making fun of a little bit? Um, this piece and slate was like arguing that girls five Eva is a more modern or like feminist and progressive answer to the problematic 30 rock um by it was basically like tina Fey's redemption or whatever i mean like full transparency i am like kind of making fun of this piece um but Mm -hmm. yeah the argument which i think is a little bit uh it's a reach yeah yeah Yeah. it's like it's arguing that let me like read this excerpt Mm -hmm. um the world is a different place in 2021 than it was when 30 rock premiered there's an expectation that people will be more thoughtful and careful with their treatment of identity than they were 15 years ago and we want our TV protagonists to embody that care as well. Um, so it's that last thing that I don't necessarily agree with. I think it's like the the, the idea that somehow, like Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon in 30 Rock, mm-hmm. was supposed to be like a heroine we're like looking up to. When I think it's like very obvious that no, no she, she's pathetic. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. portrayed as like a a white liberal like racist like kind of like she does what she whatever she needs to to get ahead and she's kind of portrayed as this like you know sneaky she's like very funny and very relatable at times but also like ultimately you understand like okay in a lot of ways she's a horrible person so i don't understand this idea that like some people have of oh we were supposed to relate to and empathize and like aspire to be someone like Liz Lemon like that is like no it's the it's the aspiration part that is absolutely not true yeah yeah I mean if some people did aspire to become her that's only because like some viewers are very uh I guess like malleable in terms of like you had people aspiring to be like Don Draper or aspiring to be totally yeah yeah all of these and that's like I wouldn't say that's like the that's definitely not the responsibility of the creator to sort of like rein in their character to make them either like better morally or less. And it's, yeah. yeah. And, and even, even for a character to even be unlikable in certain aspects, it just makes that character richer as, mm-hmm. as a subject because we're all full of contradictions. We have things about ourselves that we don't like. 
you know, we have tendencies that are annoying or pathetic or we feel sorry for ourselves about. And like, yeah, there are some points in which you can kind of see that in 30 Rock or like even, yeah, you know, we're talking about Mad Men, like Peggy, Peggy Olsen is kind of like a version of that where a lot of people aspire to be her because she's so careerist and she's so like cut and dry about her career. But at the same time, like Peggy Olsen was kind of racist too. Like then, mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, and the creators were not shying about that and she was also like really neurotic about stupid shit you know Mm -hmm. but it is not the responsibility of a protagonist or a character to encapsulate aspiration yeah you know that it's it's a very uninteresting boring character if you do that and that's why 30 rock was successful because we had a female protagonist who was embarrassing dude like Mm -hmm. what do you think do you think it's like a response to 30 rock or is it like it's just in and of itself completely different I thought it was interesting how it has, like I said, it does seem a little bit more neutered or like gentler in comparison to 30 Rock. And the main character, particularly, like you can see Dawn played by Sarah Bareilles, she is Liz Lemon-like in a lot of ways, but also more down to earth, more someone you can imagine meeting in real life, being friends with. So it is interesting to see those shades of difference, but I guess I don't know if it's inaccurate or if I just don't like the suggestion that okay, we actually, we do need more characters like this because we need to atone for the Liz Lemons of the past because that is like totally just like missing the whole essence of these shows and characters from years past. It is interesting to see how this sensibility has been updated for the modern age in which these characters do have a little bit more balance, but sometimes I would say also that makes them a little bit more boring sometimes. Yeah, Um yeah. My only real critique of it is that I think the ensemble is a little bit bland. And even though there are singular personalities that really differentiate from one another, um, I don't know if they all work together. Uh, but it wasn't really doing it for me. What about what did you think of the cast? Yeah, I think there's certain balances that they were trying to achieve mm. that I think were more successful in some cases than others. So like Dawn and Wiki would be considered like one pairing of the group and then like gloria and summer would be the other pairing so i thought the dawn and wiki pairing worked better partly because wiki as a character is so over the top she's like but also you know in a way where you believe her ambition Mm -hmm. and you know this is kind of the the jenna maroney character almost uh in a different form so she is like a diva she's charismatic she is also probably like just like totally unhinged in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but she pulls it off very well. And I think that Dawn, who is otherwise a little bit, you know, the curse of being the straight man character, like the stock character in a group, mm-hmm. having her paired with someone like Wiki elevates her and makes her, drives her to new kind of heights of absurdity yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, the other pairing of like Gloria and Summer, they end up being more of a pairing for like, helping each other with like relationship problems and stuff like that which i found a little bit less interesting you know summer's character like busy phillips uh she plays her well i think but also is a little bit stuck in like it is the bimbo character and like Mm -hmm. how can you rise above that which she eventually does on a few occasions and then paula pell's character it is also a little bit like of a stock character like oh you you have like a, a the one member of the group who grew to be kind of like the middle-aged like elderly 
aunt or something yeah. um like why don't we Mel- make the yeah. melissa mccarthy of the group basically yes yeah. very much so yeah. um so yeah and then it's like yeah let's make her a lesbian and a sensible dentist yeah um <laughs> i think paula pell is like very very talented i i love paula pell but it is like that pairing i think does not work as well for me so i think yeah it's still finding its its groove and like its chemistry a little bit but i i will say that i think it does get better and I still like the casting. I like the fact that they got mm. Sarah Bareilles and Renee Elise Goldsberry. Like, both of them have They can ex- sing. Yeah, they have extensive yeah. music and Broadway experience. And also, I really appreciated, like, the, the meta-ness of, like, Sarah Bareilles playing a singer-songwriter whose big hit was 20 years ago. I don't rem- Ooh, yeah. know if you remember, yeah, like, Love Song 2007. Yeah. yeah. That was, geez, like... I remember listening to that in, I guess that was like, what, 14 years ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, high school, man. High school, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think the casting, casting was pretty good. My favorite bit is the New York Lonely Boy bit. Um, mm. I, this is the whole like Tina Fey effect where it's like she will take a bit or a joke and it will become like canon. <laughs> and I feel like this is a perfect, uh, the second paula pell's character mentioned it i was like holy shit that is actually a thing and then there's like a whole sequence like there's like a whole like song sequence mm-hmm. it's incredible like it's john so slattery. smart oh my god john slattery looking fine as fuck as always, shows up yes. you know <laughs> oh my god that was amazing like i was just cracking it because i know so like i know so many people that have a new york lonely boy kid so it's just <laughs> it's just really funny to watch um to watch that yeah yeah, like when they pull from a place that they know and are like intimately familiar with and can get really specific about the the certain experience or observation like yeah. uh, like that is like where all of the best writing happens, I think. Totally. Yeah, um, totally. I'll give you my Peacock login if Cheers, you want to keep babe. watching this. Yeah, I definitely um, want to. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, like, yeah, I guess I, I still have the, the theme song stuck in my head. Um, it's so good. Who wrote good it? Job. I think it. I think the the composer for this series is like Tina Fey's husband, Jeff Richmond, who always does her music. Oh. Um, so if he, I don't know if he did that particular song, but I mean, holy kudos. shit, dude! It really does capture like that Spice Girls essence. It's yeah. nuts. It's so good. Earworm for sure. What about you, Pellen? What did you watch this week? Or these past two weeks, rather? You know, I I actually, I just want to say that TV has been back, baby. Like, <laughs> I've been watching a lot. I will say that Mayor of Easttown is getting absolutely batshit. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for tonight's episode. Me too. But as an aside, as you know, there's a lot of heavy stuff that's been going on. But I've really been enjoying Hacks on HBO Max. That I think it's been like two weeks since it's been out Mm -hmm. so the first week they released two episodes a week after that two episodes more so there's uh, at this point there's four episodes that are out it is co-created by the broad city alumni paul w downs lucia aniello and jen statsky and this show is another 30 minute comedy and it's about a legendary stand-up comic deborah vance who is played by the inimitable and this is something that only critics say so i'm very excited for my first (laughs) inimitable um jean smart who uh she plays someone who reluctantly works with a younger comedy writer ava daniels who is played by anna einbinder who's apparently a comic in real life never heard of her not in the comedy scene but we'll get around to that 
Um, so they Anna, Ava, and Deborah work together because Deborah is basically trying to hang on to relevancy. Um, and Ava is trying to find some work after losing a deal post internet cancellation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I, I'm gonna be real with you. I only watched started watching this because of Gene Smart, and <laughs> never really, <laughs> never really been. Never really knew who Jean Smart was until Watchmen. I'm going to be real. Mm. And it's funny because I'd actually seen her in Fargo season two and I remember her from that and she was really great in that. But like Watchmen, amazing character who she played beautifully. Like she stays stuck with me as like one of my favorite female characters of all time. Wow. Um, so that's when I got hooked with the Jean Smart drug. And, you know, if you've been watching Mare of Easttown, she's all, she also plays a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays Mare's mother and she's also excellent in that. So then I was just like, Oh yeah, I'll watch whatever Jean Smart is in. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I recommended it to you as well and you started watching it. What have you been, what have been your thoughts so far? Or by, are you caught up? Are you on episode four? Yeah, I watched all four of them so far. You're right, Gene Smart is an absolute delight. People have been joking that like HBO Max is like becoming the Gene Smart show and like Yeah. I'm all for it. Let's let's yeah, man, let's fuck put it. her in everything. Yeah. Um but the execs love her. What are you gonna yeah. do? <laughs> it's it's so interesting to see like two shows running concurrently where she plays like a significant role and see the mm-hmm. contrast and like the different roles and how she plays them. Yeah. Um you know, if it Definitely. weren't for like you know her face and her appearance like this is like a totally different world yeah um, just the yeah. glitz and glamour of this like vegas uh you know millionaire comic who is just like legendary in the scene yeah. i i liked the concepts i love any sort of thing that throws together like in you know maybe like an aging star a comic or whatever and like mm-hmm. a, a younger upstart i'm just like a sucker for this kind of concept definitely um, i mean the a series is really like the right place to go into it where it can get mm. into like the nooks and crannies of their developing, you know, relationship and dynamics yeah. and all the thorny tensions that come up when you have this kind of pairing. I will say, like, I thought the the beginning was a little bit hard for me to get into, maybe just the mm. first couple of episodes, because the way that they wrote Ava was so... She's annoying, it, eh? Yeah, it was, she was yeah. annoying. It was like yeah. a parody <laughs> yeah. beyond parody. Thankfully, it does get better, but... Yeah. Ava really was fucking pain in the ass, just these early episodes. This is my favorite thing about this, is that you don't necessarily root for either one of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've got Ava, who is incredibly insufferable, a parody of herself. Uh And then you've got Deborah, who is also insufferable and a parody of herself. You do feel a little bit more sympathy for Deborah, just because, you know, she's a hustler. Mm-hmm. She's been hustling. This is, and she's very like no nonsense, which I lean a little bit more towards as opposed mm-hmm. to someone who feels sorry for herself, um, like Ava does. But there's this one interaction that they have where they roast each other. I think it's episode one. Yeah, it's in the pilot. They roast each other. Yeah, basically. They, that's what gets Ava her job finally. Yeah, yeah. That's when she actually kind of showcases why she's a comedy writer, you mm-hmm. know? And that's when I was like, oh, okay, so they're both kind of basically thick-skinned. And for that, I respect them. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening over the course of the following episodes is that they both 
try they're in this like weird like ring like a boxing ring Mm -hmm. with one another and they're just trying to like jab sensitivity or like emotional introspection out of one another Mm -hmm. um which is really cool to see and i think like you know you and i even in drama even in feature films we love generational differences like i think we love to even if it's like it's great when it's like a double like when it's a grandchild and a grandparent or something like that but you know the the difference between these two is in in the treatment of the comedy some of the jokes about how Ava treats comedy as a millennial as opposed to Deborah and how she treats comedy as a boomer but it's more about the way that they are again like the way they approach sensitivity the way that they approach life and its troubles and they both learn something from one another which is the whole point of the generational difference you know narrative drive is that despite the differences they both have something that they get out of this relationship which is pretty nice so far like uh, at the end of episode four they are talking to one another and i love uh, talking to one another on the phone yeah. as they both watch tv like oh i love that kind of whole format yeah um that shout was out to definitely... when harry met sally <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd say that episode is definitely where it kind of hooked me in a little bit more yeah. solidly like you see I mean, the the very obvious references to their, you know, the parent-daughter relationship mm, or the mother-daughter mm-hmm. relationship to be more yeah. specific and how each yeah. one is sort of lacking in the other person's life a little bit and the way that they immediately go to the the phone scene um, in like yeah. separate beds, like separate buildings, like that is like to make the connection clear. But yeah, that Definitely. is really where like you feel a little bit of the emotional resonance a little bit more mm, and a little yeah. bit, uh, yeah, just like the pathos like you feel connected and and invested in this budding relationship um on a different level especially because that entire episode is complicated because deborah has a daughter yeah in that entire episode ava is spending the day with deborah's daughter Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see how she i think part of it is understanding the type of fame or the the showbiz world that deborah comes from and like what that means for your uh family mm-hmm. and how deborah approaches that and just ava just really kind of like ruminating around this world and kind of observing it it's really i love that episode i think it's so good because again it's like yeah this is kind of depressing dude like their relationship yeah. is kind of depressing mm-hmm. um they both are kind of fucked up over this and they don't get into like it entirely because Deborah's daughter is comedic in the way that she presents herself. Uh, but it's also because of Jean Smart's performance, you see how tired she is. Yeah. Because of that type of relationship that she has with her daughter. So it's interesting to see them. I don't know. It's uncomplicated. Their relationship is very uncomplicated. And it starts off as if it might be complicated and it isn't, you know, like, the fact that they're not related to one another, the fact that they low-key kind of hate working together, <laughs> and the fact that they are so different from one another, one another, it kind of sheds the pressure of complication, and that way they can just, you know, roast each other without worrying about hurting one another's feelings. Yeah. Um, and be really honest with one another, you know? Like, there's yeah. a moment where Ava says something to Deborah's character that that is absolutely true, and it you can tell she hits a nerve, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're going to end up being like, best friends at th- that point was when i was just like oh that really hurts but also like that's something that i'd want to hear from a very very close friend yeah um so it's, what, yeah it's really nice yeah what what did you think of like the i guess how the show tries to portray or like get into cancel culture mm. and like 
I guess the the biggest debate in comedy for these past couple of years now, which is like, what is pushing the boundaries of comedy yeah. and what is no longer acceptable because it's like punching down, it's not mm. punching up, it's it's like racist, it's like problematic or quote unquote yeah. problematic. But yeah, like how, what do you think of the way it tries to get into some of this, especially like the cancellation of, yeah. of Ava over a Twitter joke or whatever? Um, yeah. Like I don't still like a lot of shows have not really tried to get into that, I think, mm. as a more developed concept. Yeah. And I don't even know if it rings particularly true here because like her joke that she made i don't that bad yeah it's not bad at all i don't think people really would be up in arms over it no and that's i think even though the way that it's reacted you know in this world the way her joke is reacted to what it does to her career i think is accurate i think if she actually did say something a little bit problematic and then people did find out her old tweets she would absolutely lose her show deal i think she would absolutely be blacklisted um, but yeah, like you said, that joke itself is not that bad. The difference is, I think, you know, people finding her old tweets, I think it's like, if it was done by conservative bad faith people on Twitter that were just looking for something, uh, they would find it. And I think in that sense, it's accurate. But the way that, like, I thought it was interesting how after she explains exactly what happened to Deborah, and they both workshop the original tweet that got her cancelled. Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. Because you can kind of see the different generational approaches to what's bad or what's not. I don't know if it's equipped to get into that kind of nuance, to be honest. And that's okay. I mean, it's hard for fucking, like, 3,000 worth think pieces to get into that kind of nuance. Right. Yeah. you know, let alone a half-hour comedy series. Yeah. But I think maybe the problem is that, you know, they still don't want to make Ava a detestable person or whatever. Mm. Like, they don't. Mm -hmm want her to be homophobic or you know racist or sexist or whatever so they had to sort of like really the joke was so kind of placid that it didn't make sense in this context it's not convincing yeah it it didn't follow the logic like for for us like you know you and i and people Mm -hmm. our age that are very familiar with the way that the internet works like it, it wasn't convincing but the thing that interests me more is the way that they both approach comedy in general. Yeah, like the um, overall, they're yeah. different approaches in, you know, how on one side, I guess, of the debate or generational divide, you could say is like, people like Deborah Vance, they're like, you're saying it's problematic? Like, who gives a fuck? Like, it's, yeah. if it's funny, that's what... That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. that's what counts. And on the other side, yeah. they're portraying Ava, again, with a little bit, I think, of a, almost like a too much of a, I guess, like generalization from this generation. But they're like, well, we have to be sensitive about XYZ. Um, yeah. You know, you can't say that anymore. Or like... Yeah. The punchline is uh, misogynistic because it's mm-hmm. like a male way of approaching comedy. I thought, like, I, oh, yeah, I thought that was, I that was great because it just made you sympathize with Deborah because we yeah. both rolled our eyes at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, like Deborah is basically Joan Rivers, right? Kind That's, of, yeah. It's, it's like who she is modeled after, like yeah. someone that has been in in the game for decades, mm-hmm. um, and has now basically parked herself in Vegas and is just doing like Friday Saturday night shows. Every week for the rest of our life, basically. Um, you know, the complication of comedy is that it's the funniest when it speaks to some sense of truth. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to, s- I mean, I don't think we've gotten there yet. I think Not, we've just gotten we're started just like with hinting, Hags. Dancing yeah. around it so far. Yeah. Really. Because what Deborah has Ava doing is like 
bullshit. Like right now where we are in the series, Ava is still trying to get some of her lines in her stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, Ava is still watching Deborah's old archival materials to kind of get an idea for her voice or whatever so she can write for her better mm-hmm. so i don't know i'm curious to see if they get into that um i think it was alan steppenwall that talked about how like comedy shows about comedy mm-hmm. are a little bit tough because usually the best bits or the best writing is done off stage and he used uh, marvelous mrs Maisel as an example of that yeah, I agree. Like, I think Midge's lines were funnier when she wasn't on stage, mm. you know? Yeah. I think that's, I personally think that's okay. I don't, like, yeah, sure. If the audience needs to be convinced that this comic is the best thing or, like, is the most famous female comic act since whatever, we should be able to kind of hear it on stage. But at the same time, like, oh, I can excuse that because I do also think that real life is funnier. Like, the funniest things I've heard have never been on stage. It's been between people having conversations. Yeah. Stand-up is so, a very specific, like, particular It's very particular. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. also just, like, the, the the appeal is much narrower than... Uh, Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Deborah's house... Give it a huge shout out to Deborah's house. Fucking hell. So good. And then also, I really love one of the right, one of the creators, Paul W. Downs. He, he plays, um, Ava's agent, Jimmy, and his relationship with his assistant, who's like only there through nepotism, (laughs) is so good. Like the performance is so, like, we, I laughed out loud so many times. His assistant is Meg Salter, who probably some people might know. She is like one of the, I guess, like, the class of, like, comedians who really came up through Twitter and, like, front-facing videos on Twitter or yeah. whatever. She's playing basically another version of her characters on here, and it's it's wonderful, Aziz. It's so good. But, yeah, it's been it's been fun hanging out with Gene Smart, man. Like, <laughs> give me more Gene Smart. I'll clock in all the hours. Um, so we'll be watching. Uh, would highly recommend it. And let us know what you think. This week in culture, we are talking about Olivia Rodrigo, or more specifically about, I guess, the the reaction and chatter around her new album, Sour. So to back up a little bit, who is Olivia Rodrigo? She's an 18-year-old, I guess now you could call her a pop star. Um, But before that, she was, you know, just kind of like a a Disney Channel kid. She's played, um, you know, a lead role on what is it, the high school musical, high school musical show, something like that. Not something that most people outside of a very specific demographic would be familiar with. But she kind of blew up earlier this year with, you know, a couple of singles that went really big on like TikTok, hit up all the charts. And now with this album, she is kind of a critical darling as well. So yeah, I, I've listened to the album, uh, but Pellin, you haven't, is that right? That's correct. I'm very ostrich head in the ground with <laughs> uh with just any general pop star news personalities don't really care for them i'm just bad with listening to new music in general you listen to what you listen to yeah but i guess like what is kind of interesting about this album and more specifically the reception around it is how it has a lot of people our age kind of going off uh on like with nostalgia and positively about mm. like how much is like brings them back to their high school years, their teen years. Like there have been so many jokes about just like, oh shit, if Olivia Rodrigo was alive when 
you know, had put out this album when I was 17, you know, I wouldn't right. be out of my room for like 30 days straight. So it's like a lot of like waxing poetic about like how much this album, which is a lot about like teen heartbreak, teen angst, teen insecurities. Um, most of it was written by Rodrigo herself, which is like pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's clearly hidden with a lot of people, a lot of mutuals on, on Twitter. And oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see because I do not really relate with like the feelings of, I guess, like relatability or like resonance of this album. Right. Much. Yeah. With me, like we had Jojo, we had Destiny's Child, you know, we had Avril Lavigne. Listen, we were spoiled with the amount of like teenage angst tracks and you know don't get me wrong my angst was more lincoln park like that was where i that was a route i went down i still did love my jojo but i couldn't really relate to the lyrics it was more like my lincoln park lyrics were like channeled at my parents (laughs) like but yeah i also couldn't relate to it i think like you know first of all immigrant girl not allowed to talk to boys uh a b Went to a girls' school. Oh, <laughs> so that, literally that had no opportunity. Yeah. yeah, no opportunity, none to date boys. Like my first boyfriend, I was just shy of eighteen. Um, so it's interesting to see the way that people have re- been reacting to. It. Like it's just it's like this weird like note comparison with between our generation and the generation below us that's been happening with this Olivia Rodrigo album for sure. But it's also like. There was like this weird chat that was happening about like who has it worse with eating disorders and body image. Oh. Um, that was, that was happening too. And I say all of that to say, I don't know what this nostalgia is. Like, I don't know where it's coming from. And I don't know whether it's because like there's a collectivism to it online, like on Twitter that is emboldening it a little bit more. But I think it's it's, a little bit. Yeah. It just feels like a bit of a reach, you know, and maybe it's like part of, it's part of the joke and it's part of like the whole like, it's kind of like performing online for all yeah. your online yeah. friends. You know, yeah. you want to yeah. get in on the get in on the joke. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting how like the performance that is reached for so many times mm-hmm. is just like again the straight of nostalgia, yeah. which we've like I'm sh- we've like indulged in this, of course. Sorry. Like I think even on the show, yeah. it's all of it is coinciding right now. The benefit is back. Yeah. Like this, like hearkening back to Gossip Girls coming like, back. This yeah, yeah. All yeah of Gossip this Girl coming back. Yeah. Like the early aughts fashion and late nineties fashion, that's back. Yeah. Girls five Eva is back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like all of this stuff is is like reaching for some previous point in time, some mm-hmm. like unspecified point in time, or more specifically, I guess like the experience of being like young again yeah. transported back to so re-savor the previous it. period of view. Yeah. 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 And also like projecting a lot of these things onto now this younger generation like Gen Z or mm-hmm. whatever like everything that like 30 32 year olds are like now saying about like Olivia Rodrigo and stuff it's just like well yeah I guess like putting it back on this 18 year old shoulders yeah. um and using her as like an, an avatar for your feelings when you were a teen. Yeah. I mean I think a part of it has something to do with the fact that Olivia Rodrigo is a woman of color, she's Filipina, like, I think everyone's kind of, like, rallying behind her to be that pop star icon that is usually a white girl. Like, you know, with Ariana Grande, mm. with Taylor Swift, like, these girls, they're, they're, people love, love both of them. And there's, like, this entire army behind them. And I think people are just, like, especially our generation, we're just trying to, like, rally behind her to have her that, let her have that kind of hype that she would deserve and maybe encourage other 
younger Asian girls, Filipina girls to to have somebody that they can relate to, support. That's good. Seeing an ascending star is always fun to be on the ride for. Yeah. And I guess it's worth saying, like, of course, like, Gen Z, you know, you don't have to care about any of this. No. Like, they can, they can just, like, listen and enjoy and relate to the lyrics as it, like, pertains to their current yeah. teen lives or whatever. It's just, like, a weird sort of complex and going on with millennials. Yeah, please excuse our generation's weird infantilizing of oneself. <laughs> we simply do not know what to do. We can't buy houses. Because uh, we're too broke. We don't know how to start families because the state doesn't support us. And that's terrifying. Having babies seems terrifying. So now we, there's only the only way to go is back. So this is what we're doing. We are just going back. We're getting nostalgic. Uh, please excuse our embarrassing antics. Please enjoy yeah. Olivia's album. <laughs> it, it's pretty good. Well, I like some of the songs on it. I can't say I, all of them hit it for me but uh it's short it's a breezy listen uh i i guess i would recommend giving it a try half an hour yeah excellent so it's good to be back thanks so much for listening if you are watching anything that you think we should check out please let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com or just at us or dm us at criticism is dead one word on twitter and instagram for extended show notes including links to everything that we've been talking about and then some please subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com as always thank you so much for listening please rate and review us on apple cod pod, uh, podcasts <laughs> podcasts uh just five stars please don't fuck about <laughs> and maybe tell a friend about us thank you so much we will see you next week criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin Lu and jenny g Chung. our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew luke